two army corporals. <laughs> the naval officers in question have pleaded not guilty. And now it's time to welcome Radio 4, who opt out of their own programmes for reasons which are best left unsaid, to join us here on Radioactive for our special commemoration of the Normandy invasion, one of the largest military operations in the history of large military operations. <laughs> and an historic event which happened exactly 43 years ago to the day, in just a few months' time. <laughs> and the name of our show, The D-Day Show. <laughs> The 6th of June, yes, a date that nobody can forget because, of course, that was the date that PJ Proby split his trousers on stage. <laughs> and also, though not quite as well known to radioactive listeners, in 1944, it was D Day. Yes, today we'll be playing some of the top sounds around in June 44, and there's a chance to win a special radioactive souvenir piece of shrapnel <laughs> by seeing how many words you can make out of D-Day. <laughs> and I'll give you a clue, you can only make one. There was mutton. We couldn't buy stockings and we couldn't buy bread. That's right. There were no zips or buttons. And doodlebugs were dropping all around our heads. But no, we weren't downhearted. The winds of change were sure to blow. And do you know, today the best part is the Radio Act is giving us the D Day show. Mmm, nice. But the Second World War wasn't all fun and games. There was a serious side to it as well. Many people, for example, remember the fighting that went on between Germany and the Allied forces. One such person is our special guest here today, Colonel Brian Bartlett, uh, who we'll be hearing from in a moment. Uh, Colonel, what was it like being a... <laughs> uh, well, it was uh, rather like a waterfall, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, one minute everything would be going well, the next minute things would suddenly turn against you. Yes, yes. Not very like a waterfall, is it? <laughs> No, I probably no. could have chosen a better analogy. Yes. Uh, but the point that you were making was that it was forever changing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Rather like a bicycle. A bicycle? Yes. In what way? Well, OK, no, OK, not like a bicycle then, but it was uh, changing all the time. That's the point. What's your strongest memory of those years? Well, it was on a bitterly hot day, as I remember. I was standing stretched out on the lawn, and this damn Stuka swooped down right out of the sky like an enormous tractor and opened fire. <laughs> right in the leg. Still walk with a limp, actually. Tractor, you say? Hmm? This plane came out of the sky to you like an enormous tractor. I do wish you wouldn't keep picking me up on these things. I'm not a literary man myself, but I was asked by your producer to spice things up a bit with some appropriate similes. Right, I see. <clears throat> like a biscuit? Yes, he was rather like a biscuit. <laughs> Short, with glasses. Yes, well, uh, many thanks, and uh, maybe we'll come back to you later, Colonel. Not at all. And maybe we won't. Well, Mike Channel uh, is a man who I'm sure must vividly remember the war himself, and uh, he's out and about, I understand, taking people back to those days. Today we'll take you back to the Normandy attack, which happened almost 50 years ago. In fact, it's really 42, but no one's really going to sue, because no one under 40 is going to know. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, uh, what exactly do you remember of D-Day? Oh, I think they're marvellous things to have in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> um, excuse me, what do you remember about the Allied landings? Mm, well, I don't think they're as good as their carpets. <laughs> uh, excuse me. 
Excuse me, do you remember D-Day in 1944? Ah, you see, I remember I was at home having a cup of oval tea. Mm-hmm. This voice came on the radio saying the invasion of France has begun. Well, I was amazed. Were you? Yes, I didn't have a radio. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, what do you think about the invasion of France? Well, a bloody good idea. It's easy to mess us around with the common market, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sir, can I ask you if you remember D-Day? Yeah, it looks like you can, doesn't it? <laughs> um, sir, do you remember the Normandy landing? The Normandy landing? Yes, D-Day. D-Day? Hmm. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't. During the war? The war, you say? The Second World War, yes. No, don't remember that. You must remember the Second World War. Oh, with Germany? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. D-Day? Oh, yes. Uh, D-Day, yes, Dropping yes, all the troops yes. on the Normandy coast. Uh, yes, yes, I remember organising it now, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, General. Forget all your troubles, pretend it's yesterday. It's the end of the war, June 644. It's D-D-Day. Hmm. Colonel Bartlett, uh, do you remember the Normandy invasion? Uh, yes, it was rather like a sleepy summer's day in the Cotswolds. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. That's right, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm beginning to see how your mind works now. (laughs) Well, uh, now there's a chance for us to hear what really happened with a brief potted history of D-Day compiled by our very own potted disc jockey, Martin Brown. Nineteen forty-six. D-Day. The Battle of Dundee is on. The Americans pushing into the Czechoslovakis and the Spanish Armada nowhere. It was crucial for Britain to hang on to the lonely port of Dundee before the Belgians arrived. Everyone who owned a boat, dinghy, raft or plank of wood immediately flew to Dundee that stormy November morning in June. Now, of course, of course we know that the courage of these people and thousands of Italians like them has saved the lives of our children and their children before them and and enabled the war to continue for another 30 or 40 years. But at the time there was no such knowledge, only the sea, the aircraft and the rhythmic splash of the Viking oarsmen. Whom Sir Winfield Churchill said, This is their finest oar. Thank you very much indeed, Martin. Oh, there's lots more, Martin. Yes, I'm sure there is. Thanks very much. Well, I certainly uh, learned something with that report. Uh, I learned what a silly idea it was asking Martin to compile it. Anyway, let's turn to the Colonel here, who we uh, almost seem to be getting more sense out of. Uh, You were there, weren't you? Yes, well, my platoon on uh, June the 6th was under the command of General Jumbo Wilson. The Jumbo. Uh, yes, because of his large size, you see. A I lot see. of officers got nicknamed for silly little physical things like that, you know. I see, yes. Anyway, the plan was to establish a bridgehead and then push forward to meet up in Paris with General Large Hooter Barnes Boothby <laughs> and Colonel Supernumerary Nipples Thompson. <laughs> uh, we made the rendezvous and we had an immediate council of war with Supreme Commander-in-Chief Eisenhower. Eisenhower uh, didn't have a nickname then? Uh, yes, he was called Supreme Commander-in-Chief. Rather <laughs> good one, I was thought. Uh, anyway, he... Uh, he was there with his two aides, Lieutenant Big Boy Cartwright and Admiral Give It To Me Quick, I'm Hot For It, Hamilton Brown. 
sorry, give it, give it to me quick, I'm hot for it. Yes, look, I do wish you wouldn't keep it sidetracking like this. It's hardly important where the names come from. Sorry. Uh, anyway, we asked him to come up with a plan in conjunction with Wind Commander Nocturnal Emissions Smith. Who is his name? Yes, Colonel, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you. Uh, we'll no doubt be back to you a little later on. But now it's time for... Mike Flex, Wartime Sweethearts. Yes, indeed. A special feature today for our D-Day show in which I'll be reuniting one or two people who can't have seen each other for some 40 years or more. 40 years or more! That's right. <laughs> and first off, it's Desmond Watts of Edinburgh. Now, Des, you were stationed in Leicester during the war, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, hi. Uh, and uh, while you were there, you met Glynis Dixon, a local girl with whom you had a little bit of, uh, <laughs> oh, of a fling, I understand. Uh, yeah? Well, you could call it that, yes. yes. <laughs> well, of course, at that time she was married to a sailor, yeah? And she still is. And he's here tonight. <laughs> Lots of fun and games there. Super. Well, uh, next up is uh, Francis Martel, who was a wren in the war, I believe. Yes. So uh, tell us about the leave you took in the summer of 1943, Francis. Well, I met a rather handsome Dutch naval officer, mm -hmm. and, well, we hit it off rather well. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, I'm sure everyone knows what you mean, Francis. If that isn't a euphemism for sexual intercourse, I don't know what is. <laughs> OK, so the name of your Dutch boyfriend was Johan Metgod. Yes, that's right. Well, Francis, we've invited you here tonight because we've traced Johan oh, no, back to that, that summer of that year, no, and I'm here to tell you, Francis, oh, that oh, after oh, Johan left you to yes. go back to Holland, oh. he was arrested on spying charges and shot by a firing squad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't win them all, I'm afraid, Francis. Bye, bye. Ah, Francis Martel, what a good sport she was. And she and Des have certainly given us a lot of fun. The Yankees and Canadians, the English and Australians, all who played their special part today. We know they'll all be singing, because today we're bringing a radioactive special for today. Well, of course, Radioactive hasn't been around forever. And back in the war days, people were forced to listen to the BBC Home Service. Rather like BBC Radio 4 nowadays, but slightly more contemporary. <laughs> but in general, life carried on as normal, as this cricket report from 1941 shows. Welcome to Lords with the good news that the light is exceptionally good for this time of night. In fact, I can see St Paul's blazing from where I'm sitting. So, Tompkins to bowl to Wilberforce with two overs left coming in from the nursery end and a Messerschmitt coming in from the pavilion end. <laughs> and Tompkins looks worried and yes, yes, he's asking for the sight screen to be moved. Oh, and the Messerschmitt dropping a mortar bomb and it's caught. <laughs> caught by Henderson and how well we'll remember that catch. And how well we'll remember Henderson. <laughs> Trubshaw coming in again. And Wilberforce is out. He's out of the ground and most of the way down the Finchley Road by now. So Trubshaw comes in again. Left arm over the wicket. Right arm down by the boundary. <laughs> and no ball. That too lost in the attack. And so we leave Lords with the news I've just been handed that I too have been badly hit and I'm on fire. <laughs> Help. Fire. Fire. Oh, and I'm not out. And now, radioactive Commercial time. He's tough. He's deadly. Sylvester Stallone is The Invader, the true story of the Second World War. 
See him single-handedly rescue the troops in Dunkirk, defeat Rommel in Egypt, and overcome Hitler in a spectacular car chase, all without a single line of intelligible dialogue. Also starring Chuck Norris as Field Marshal Montgomery and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Vera Lynn, Sylvester Stallone is the entire British and American armies in The Invader, the story as it's never been believed before. The new Mazda 232 has more boot space than an Escort and brighter paintwork than a Honda. It's got five doors on one side and seven on the other. <laughs> it's the only car with front-wheel drive and no front wheels. It's shaped like a large pink rabbit. And the man who designed it has been shipped off to the funny farm. So if you're a complete nutcase, test drive the new Mazda 232. You'll be mad to buy a Mazda. There's never been a sale like the Queen's Plan Monster Furniture Sale. We've cut profits. We've slashed the prices. We've smashed delivery costs. And unfortunately, we've broken most of the furniture as well. This three-piece suite reduced from £299 to a pile of rubble. This dining room table down from three foot to just off the ground. Chinese rug reduced to bits of rag you can clean your car with. The Queen's Plan Monster Furniture Sale rock bottom furniture at top notch prices. Well, our ever-intrepid Mike Hunt has done his bit for today by taking a party of kids over to France on the exact route of the D-Day landings, and he should have arrived in France by now. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. Did you have a good trip? Uh, not bad, Mike. Bit primitive. Just wanted to queasy tums. Mm. Oh, I see. So you went across uh, on the original World War II landing craft, did you? Uh, no, we went Townsend Torrison. <laughs> And uh, where are the kids at the minute, Mike? Uh, well, they're just reenacting the D-Day landings, Mike. I see. They're, they're pretending to be soldiers, are they? Uh, no, they're more repelling hundreds of holidaymakers off the beaches and driving them <laughs> up the cliffs, Mike. Uh, so they're having a good time? Oh, yes. Just one or two casualties. Casualties? Uh, yes. Well, you said when we set out, you are expecting a few dead. I said I was expecting a few dedications, Mike. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, never mind, eh? Mike? Uh, it's all right, Mike. That was one of ours. Ah. <laughs> As I say, we're rounding up the holidaymakers on the beaches. Oh, I see. So you're taking prisoners of war? Uh, no, we're not taking any prisoners, Mike. Uh, anyway, the kids have done marvellously well today with their precision bombing of key targets, uh, especially one or two French farms. <laughs> that should teach him to be French. Yes. <laughs> Have you got a stutter? <laughs> well, of course, music during the war took a series of setbacks. There were almost no charts compiled, and as far as we can see, no major tours of any leading rock band. <laughs> Although status quo <laughs> did perform their first farewell concert. <laughs> just before the First World War. <laughs> but since then, things have changed, and today there's a healthy exchange of groups between Britain and Germany. We sent them the Beatles and David Bowie, and they sent us James Last and Nicole. <laughs> but the latest German export, Falco, named as a mark of respect after the famous Tottenham Hotspur centre forward, <laughs> Clive Allen, 
have already reached number one with a tribute to Mozart and in the wake of the World Cup are set to do it again with a tribute to an even greater German legend. Oh my word. Not nine metres by any long joke. Charlton. He was so muscular, he was so extrovert, he was so sweet and so bad, so now the manager. He was so deadly around the box, so deadly in the air, was the skipper of the team that lost at Bambelair. Beckenbauer, 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 Beckenbauer. Franz Beckenbauer. Er war a superstar, er had the curly hair. He said the Bobby Charlton was a jolly good player, he was a gentleman. So ahead of his time And swears Jeff Hurt's goal was not over the line Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer Rodney Beckenbauer German team to win the Weltmeisterschaft has always been his dream. There's a man in the side that's such a good player that he might turn out to be the next Franz Beckenbauer. Rummenigge, Rummenigge, Karl Heinz Rummenigge, Rummenigge, Karl Heinz Rummenigge, Colonel, that uh, must bring back a few wartime memories for you. Uh, not really, no. No, no, no reason why it should. Well, it's time now to play another round of my now legendary master quiz. Mike Flex presents his master quiz. Lots of fun questions on the Second World War. And here to play for the radioactive chateau in the Loire, still unwon and being used at weekends by me. Thanks very much. <laughs> We have our two contestants, and uh, her name is... Uh, Lizzie. And he is... Timothy. OK. Uh, you uh, know the one and only rule. First one to get it uh, gets, gets it. it. Yes. yes. OK, question one. In France, what was the name for the French underground? The Mackie. No, the Metro. As it is <laughs> Where did the Battle of Britain take place? Uh, the south of England. No, in the sky was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> what do the initials SS stand for? Oh, oh, um, Schutzstaffel, meaning defence corps. No, social security. <laughs> DHSS. Uh, what is the answer to the next question? I don't know. You haven't asked a question yet. Not really, no. Joseph Goebbels is the answer I was wanting. Uh, did Hitler ever marry Eva Braun? No. Really? I thought he did. So there you go. Uh, back to the quiz. Who said <laughs> this was their finest hour? Uh, Winston Churchill. No, it was me. Winston Churchill died 20 years ago, so you could <laughs> said it, could he? In the words of the song, Hitler has only got one ball. What is it referring to? Oh, well... Oh, like... I can't really say. Well, you can't have any points in it. <laughs> How did Bomber Harris get his name? Uh, from being in charge of Bomber Command. No, from his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Harris. <laughs> Sweden was neutral during the war. Name me one other neutral country. Oh, Switzerland, Spain. No, you name me two, I'm afraid, so you can't know that. <laughs> and finally, if a German soldier put his hands up and cried, Ich jebe auf, what would he be saying? I give up. Oh dear, never mind. What a shame. <laughs> no, 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 that's what he'd be I'm saying. I'm afraid I have to accept your first answer. And there goes the buzzer, I'm afraid, which means it's very hard luck to both of you. Here are your radioactive mackerel fillets. <laughs> Don't forget those, and thanks for playing Mike Flex's Master Quiz. Doodlebugs and Messerschmitts and V2 bombs and battleships and Winston Churchill making speeches about fighting people on the beach.
There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover. The song that for millions epitomized Britain during the war, sung there by its composer Yip Wolensky. Hi. How you doing? You'll have a nice day there, you hear? Uh, Yip, you're not actually English, are you? No, sir. But I felt I knew enough about England to write that song. Uh, what about the first line? There'll be bluebirds over. Yes, yes. Uh, now, as far as I'm aware, there have never actually been any bluebirds outside America. That's so. Well, maybe a little slip up there, but uh, the rest of the song is certainly all about England. Yes, that was because your publishers changed it. But uh, if we can look at the original version, uh, the next line would have been, there'll be buffalo roaming just outside Godoming. Godoming. <laughs> have you ever been to Godoming, or Godalming, as it's called in some... Uh, no, sir. No. And uh, what about the second verse? There'll be blueberry flapjacks. Uh, that's the traditional English breakfast, Isn't you know. It, I see, yeah. Yep. And Pepsi and golf slacks. Tomorrow, just you wait and see. The shepherd will tend his sheep. Yeah, I think that's all right. Yeah, the cactus will bloom again. The Cumberland <laughs> cactus, yes. Yeah, and it ends, and England will go to sleep, and we probably have to bail you limes out again just like we did in the first war. Fine, thank you. <laughs> Turning to you uh, briefly before we move on to something interesting. <laughs> uh, well, perhaps you could tell us of your memories of the invasion. Mm. Well, we started with two plans of attack. Uh, the first involved the construction of a channel tunnel. Uh, this uh, <laughs> sadly founded on the impossibility of getting the Germans to agree a cost and starting date of the <laughs> To soften them up a bit, we launched a bouncing bomb, a bomb which bounced over their first line of defence and did not actually burst on impact. Unfortunately, it did not actually burst at all and was last seen bouncing off towards Australia. So, <laughs> not entirely wasted. No. Uh, <laughs> our thoughts then turned to uh, electrical warfare. The plan was to pick a day when the entire German army was swimming off the coast of France and then drop into the channel in an enormous electric fire connected to all the power stations in the country. Uh, this plan was sadly rejected at the last minute on the grounds of being moronic. Uh, finally, I came up with a bold, exciting plan of my own. It was based on the Battle of Hastings. It had worked before, and above all, it had the great advantage that Hastings was in this country, therefore making the whole invasion bit a great deal easier. We wouldn't have to cross the channel or enter into combat with the Germans, who many of us at the time thought to be frankly hostile to us. <laughs> and you submitted this plan, uh, This is the plan I would have submitted, yes, but sadly I was unable to, uh, since at the time I was under severe confinement in Broadmoor. And now... The Radioactive Repertory Company presents a live dramatization of The Longest Day. June the 16th, 1944. They. D-Day. The troops were all set to invade Norman. D-Day. Light was to invade Normandy. Daylight was breaking. The landing craft were silent. Those aboard thought then of the heroic words of Tennyson. Into the valley of death rode the six o'clock. 
rode the 600. <laughs> and then the silence was broken as the hatches hit the water and almost half a million men struck out for the beach. <laughs> Sergeant. Sir, we're pinned down by small arms. Fire! <laughs> we're pinned down by small arms. Fire! Take out that pill. Box on the hill. <laughs> and take out that pill box on the hill. <laughs> okay, men. We go! Okay, men. Over the top we go. <laughs> I can see them from here, sir. Are they armed? Yes. How is it, sir? <laughs> How it's us? <laughs> right. What was that explosion? And so the battle warren. And so the battle wore on. The British in Normandy and the Americans in deep. In Dieppe. <laughs> Here comes the general's jeep. Thank you for stopping, sir. <laughs> I've got a message. What? Is it private? <laughs> what is it, private? The British. They've met with French resistance. They've met with the French resistance. But they need someone to help them tackle the Germans. <laughs> the German SS. What about what about a company? What about a company? Okay, sir. I'll take the message over. Look out. Uh, okay, sir. I'll take the message over. Look out. So the Allies carried the D-Day. Carried the day. Victory was certain, thanks to the brave men of Her Majesty's fighting corps. <laughs> Fighting call. Well, that just about concludes today's trip down memory strasse. Join us again next week when we'll be looking at 1914 to 1918. That's in the rock and roll years. <laughs> Radioactive was performed by Morwenna Banks, Angus Deaton, Jeffrey Perkins, Philip Pope and Michael Fenton Stevens. Songs by Steve Brown, Angus Deaton and Philip Pope. And the programme was written by Angus Deaton and Jeffrey Perkins with additional material by Michael Fenton Stevens. The producer was David Tyler. In a moment on Radioactive, it'll be time for the news, read by Nigel Pry with subtitles on CFAX. Full details of this and other programmes are available in the Radioactive Times, the complete four-day guide to the week. But now we have to say goodbye to Radio 4 listeners. Goodbye to Radio 4 listeners. <laughs>